Hey podcast listeners, Mike Rappin, host of the I Read Comic Books podcast here. We are rounding down our listener survey. There is just two weeks left. You can take this survey now at ircb.us survey. We want to know what you think of the show. So give us your feedback and we can make IRCB the best comic book podcast out there. Take the survey now at ircb.us survey. Now onto the show. This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I'm your host, Nick White, and joining me this week are two fantastic people, Kate Scotchless. Hello. And Tia Vasiliu. Hello. Uh, this is usually the point where Mike asks, uh, how have you been? How have comics been? Uh, and I was going to try to shake that up with something different, but um, I believe that uh, change is dangerous. <laughs> and so <laughs> let's everyone and everyone just go ahead and like try to come up with your own variation on that and imagine that that's what I said and then think to yourself oh man Nick White he's he's shaking it up already he is just deconstructing Mike Rappin's podcast uh, bit by bit I so, feel nervous um, for my economic future because of what you just did there Nick yeah, um, already the Asian <laughs> markets are in a free fall. <laughs> oh boy, the yen is not going to be worth anything tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, how how have you guys been um, now that we're a little under a week after the election wrapped? So how have you been? And uh, maybe on a more positive note, maybe not, uh, how have comic books been for the two of you? Well, I can't lie, I have not been well since the election and so I have been uh, trying to find some solace in comic books unfortunately it wasn't a really robust week for for me comic book wise uh, but I did find a few interesting things that I read this week Um, I know that Kate also is planning to talk about Mother Panic number one yep Uh, so I will Uh, just mentioned that I read it and I was kind of lost but I really loved the aesthetic of it so I'll probably uh, keep reading it and hopefully start to kind of acclimate and catch up with it a little bit. I read Invincible Iron Man number one which is the uh, the debut of the book being headlined by Riri Williams who is the new Iron Man 15 year old super genius. Okay Look, I accept that Brian Michael Bendis writes a lot of stuff that people like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is true. I will even admit to liking some of his books. Like, I liked his Guardians of the Galaxy. I think he writes really quippy dialogue. I wish that he would hand this book off to someone with a more nuanced and perhaps closer experience with the particular identity of the main character. Sure. Yeah, that is a very tactful way of putting it. Thank you. I mean, I, I didn't I didn't hate it. Although I do think he was super heavy-handed with the backstory, which I won't say is unless someone hasn't read it. Um but spoiler alert, it's kind of like major side eye for I don't understand why it it was necessary to have this happen Um, but I did really like the way that it opened which was um, 
with Riri's parents talking to a child psychologist about what they're going to do with their child who is smarter than them. And they want to make sure that while they help her to um, cultivate her uh, genius, they also make sure that she has a childhood and that she can experience the world as a, as a child and know that she's loved and have friends and all that sort of stuff that's important to being a person. I thought that was a really useful way to introduce Riri so that when we see her superheroing, we also have an idea of her as a, as a young woman. I mean, 15, maybe I'm just really ancient. I, that's po- that could be possible, but to me, a fifteen-year-old is a kid, yeah. and and I, it makes me sad on some level to have a fifteen-year-old kid carrying the weight. I mean, I feel the same way about Miles and Kamala and um, you know Amadeus Cho, like these Kate Bishop, these characters who are kind of who are kids, but also superheroing. And on one hand, it's very um, I don't know exciting for them, very exhilarating. I also just uh, feel like they're all their kids and and that's such a heavy burden. And so I hope that that theme becomes something that is continually explored and like maybe pull back on what to me was kind of an unnecessary trope uh, to get into a little what the show topic's going to be. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel ya with this book. I think I think they probably could have made an effort to maybe get those creative team things dealt with. Uh, on the flip side, I know that they've been trying forever to get a quote unquote like likable, readable um, Iron Man book, which apparently is, from what I've heard, like borderline impossible. So <laughs> it, I think that's why. Like, didn't they put Bendis on maybe about? half to three quarters of a year ago and they're like bendis is going to be the only one that will fix this uh, all hail bendis i mean if i remember correctly i will read literally anything that kieran gillen writes and i couldn't sure. I, I did not give a crap about iron man even with him writing it so yeah yeah that makes sense I, but i'm here for riri williams and i will support it just for the simple fact that i want marvel to understand that it it's a good thing that they're doing to pass on these titles to to new characters and and to have new faces which can hopefully bring in new audiences um what else oh gosh so <laughs> now for something completely different news i also read jungle <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> this Jung- was your pick of the week, right? It was I so good. I can't even say it. <laughs> Jungle Fantasy. <laughs> which is it? Which is from an Avatar imprint. It's this pornographic book that was like I can't even I did I I I you ordered extra copies. So, I was going to say, like, how many variants do you have? I know Avatar <laughs> has, like, eight variants of all their books, four of which, whenever you get the previews catalog, they've got black bars or, or blacked yeah, out images. Oh and they're like, you know, this version is censored. And I'm like, okay. In case you were wondering, in the jungle, there is apparently the jungle. a very <laughs> skilled bikini waxer. And, and if you were wondering about that, I was. I, but, I was. Yeah, thank you. But apparently, there there is no place to get birth control because at one point the the 
protagonist, the heroine, says to this dude uh, that she doesn't want his child, so please take her back passage. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I think you better explain why you were reading this to you, because our audience might not understand. Yeah, okay, so so I I work in comics, and one of the things that I'm starting to to learn how to do in in my job is to um, help determine what the age rating for certain books will be. <laughs> First page. Nope. You know, just in my professional opinion, I think this maybe is an adults only. I That's just my initial <laughs> thoughts. Sounds like your training is really paid <laughs> off there. I just wanted to mention that, that because I still can't believe that I looked at it with my own eyes and that it is a thing that exists, but apparently it is and people buy it and I just don't, do you guys know that like there's, that there's the internet? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say like, maybe, maybe this is like sex ed in comic book form. No, please God, no, but probably not. Yeah. I mean, there is actually good sex ed. There's Ojoy sex toy. Like there are actually good sex ed comics out there. So please don't learn about sex from Please Jungle take my bath. <laughs> right. How about you, Kate? <laughs> oh well, nothing that exciting, I'm afraid. Um, I was gonna say I thought like I thought that book was like this week's book club entry. So oh, yeah, I mean, you know, I thought everybody picked this up. <laughs> it was a really big toss-up between Trees Volume One and Jungle Fantasy. So <laughs> we ended up going Trees Volume One, which is yeah. sitting on my bookshelf waiting for me to read. Still, you know, there's gonna happen tomorrow. There's a lot of sex in Trees Volume One. Yeah. Is there? Yeah. Okay. Um. I I did not expect that. I thought it was an alien invasion kind of comic. There is, but like, you know, I mean, who isn't turned on by that? That's it's true, especially when they're giant giant phallic spaceships. It, there right? you go. See? So <laughs> symbolism. Um, that's right. Um they're just stuck all over the earth. I why won't they go away? You're <laughs> asking us. <laughs> like Okay, anyway, um I read Avengers number 1. Um, not because I was particularly interested in the latest Avengers book, um, but because Mike Del Mundo is on it and his art, I will always pick up at least the first issue to check it out because it's so beautiful. You just want to hang it on your wall. Um, so it's written by Mark Wade and it's the new team up of, uh, Nadia Pym's Wasp, uh, Jane Foster as Thor, Sam Wilson as Captain America, and then Vision and Peter Parker as Spider-Man and Hercules. And so it's like, kudos for having ladies and a diverse team and all that stuff. But this is going to be a weird team. It'll be interesting to see how they make it work. Uh, so far, part of the tactic seems to be turning Pym into like a comedic relief kind of character, which just was like, wait, what? Is this a real thing that, that what? You That's know, like weird. she's usually the super smart, like, yeah. So um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Hercules would not ever be my pick to go on the Avengers. Um, I can say that now that Mike's not here, right? Um, (laughs) But we'll see if they make this work. They're really playing up the demigod thing along with Thor. So, um, and I I don't know. I'm I'm not on par with the other Marvel books right now, I think. So I can't, are we not supposed to, like, are the characters not supposed to know that Jane Foster is Thor? Like, she's super secret lady thor i don't know um i mean it might just be that they don't know jane foster well so one of the i'd have to reread it it seems like maybe 
some of them don't know that it's her, that she's not, like, an Asgardian or whatever. Right, right. Um, but, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, because I could be entirely wrong on this. Uh, I'm picking up the Marvel uh, torch again with some of these new releases, but I've gotten pretty behind. Um, so then I also read Mother Panic, um, which is the one by Jody Hauser uh, with art by Tommy Lee Edwards. And I was not planning on picking it up, but the world needs queer heroes more now than ever. And it was the exact tone that I needed that night. It's a kind of hyper violent, um, anger fest, I guess, but not, not in a gruesome way. But in, like, kicking butt and taking names and this is how it is kind of thing. Um, the art style for that worked really, really well. The colors especially, I think, were on point. And then the backup story is our new podcast, guys. Like, scrap, I read comic books. The backstory is what we're doing from now on. It's, um, like, this old-timey radio show, but it's in Gotham City, right? So it's like, how awesome would a podcast be where you just do like pretend old-timey radio shows like you're in Gotham City and reporting on the stuff that's happening there? Like, oh, that'd be awesome. That would be. I just want to quickly point out that Kate's views do not necessarily represent the views of the I Read Comic Books podcast. (laughs) And her recent remarks about dismantling this podcast (laughs) do not represent the actual podcast. So uh, anyone who has concerns about that... um, Mike, I, I I tried to stand up for this podcast. Just it's on it's on record now. Xander, don't edit that out, please. You're no match for our girl gang, Nick. I'm sorry. That's, that's right. That's what concerns me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I also read Batman number nine and ten. Uh, this is the Tom King uh, Batman story with Michael Janine now on art for this arc. But the real hero here is June Chung, who's doing colors, and they are beyond gorgeous. Um, I am pretty confused, I guess would be the word with this arc. Like, is this supposed to be a Suicide Squad crossover? Is that what's happening Uh, here? I think it's supposed to be like basically Batman creating his own Suicide Squad. Okay. Because it it didn't become clear over the like decades that we've been doing this that that just never pans out well, that letting villains out is never a great idea. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I th- but, I've heard Batman's taking a real relaxed approach to um, oh, super, criminal super. records. He's like, I'm, I'm pretty anti-hero now, guys, right? We're just gonna... I'm pay- playing it fa- fast and loose with the law here. Um, the other thing with this these issues is like... Can Catwoman's stupid boob pockets just stop existing, please? Can boob pockets in real life please stop existing? (laughs) Yeah, that too. But I mean, like, in her spandex suit, that is not how it works. That is just not how it works. You get a cleft. You get a uniboob. Why do we need these? For the it is 2016. Comics, of all things, can save us here, right? Right? Um, But yeah, other than that, I really like this arc... um, well, okay, I like the art of this arc. I'm not sure about the story so far. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, Michael Janine is, is a fantastic artist, and while I haven't read the issues yet, I've uh, um, he uh, actually worked with Tom King before Batman on Grayson, 
uh, oh, which okay. was which was fantastic. They teamed up on that book. They were a fantastic team. Uh, Michael Janine knows how to draw the sexy sexy. I don't know if these two issues so far have illustrated that, but honestly, Well, God, he certainly wanted to go to town with Catwoman, and it irritated me. But, well, you know, may, uh, may, maybe he's is. just trying to get the balance, because go go read Grayson, because good God, no, there Grayson is, no is balance. in his like, underwear. <laughs> Listen, He's honestly Nick, in his... Okay. There yeah. can be a hundred years of Grayson in his underwear, and it's still not balanced. Yeah. And... Okay, I, I guess I can't speak for Grayson because I haven't seen that much of the stuff, but does, does it make him contort in weird, weird anatomically impossible ways so that you can see his boobs and his butt? Because until you get the the Definitely the butt. And, Definitely well, the I butt. Well, I know, but, but I mean, like, the anatomically impossible things to show off all your sexy bits is the thing that just doesn't happen even ever with guys, you know? So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm taking like a zero tolerance policy on this. Yeah. I mean, I that, like that seems appropriate. I was a pretty angry feminist about this stuff before, but at this point, I'm just like, no. Mm-mm. Clearly, we haven't been firm enough that people still think stuff is acceptable. So, anyhow, how about you, Nick? What did you read? Looks like you're um, pretty behind on Batman. Yeah, I am now. Behind on seven, eight, nine, ten. I think. Um, yeah, not including the crossovers. Yeah, into into Monster Men. So, uh, you know, it's it's not unlike just being a geeky person in general. You hang out with enough people, you read enough websites, so you end up picking up a lot of the stuff on the peripheral anyway. But you try as hard as you can to block out the concrete details. So. I mean, I've I've known about the whole Mikael Janine, Michael Janine thing from a long time ago, so I was excited. Right. But and I heard like Suicide Squad, but yeah, I'm I'm all the way back on six, which was the one shot that ended um, the first arc, uh, which I think was just called Gotham. I think it was just called Gotham. Anyway, um, it was uh, Ivan Reyes on art. Or was it Doug Mankey? Oh my goodness! Oh my gosh! Take away my Batman card. Paul, I've, I've, uh, you can revoke it now. I can't even remember. Uh, but that was a great issue. I really liked that. Um, ends up with Batman talking to Amanda Waller, and Amanda Waller's like, "Yeah, we can actually fix uh, Gotham Girl, uh, but you're gonna have to uh, break into like the worst prison ever and talk to Bane." And and Batman's like, "All right, that's fine. Uh, I, uh, I've got nothing else on my calendar for the rest of the week." So. That's right. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, you know, set set me up with an appointment. We'll make this happen. And then apparently, based on what Kate said and based on what I've heard from other people, he decides he's going to recruit a group. Which, for me, offhand, I was like, "Well, like, where's the extended Bat family? Like, are they yeah. all on vacation in Cabo or something?" But I'm guessing it's because like the whole shtick of Detective Comics is Detective Comics is the Bat family book. So in order to maintain whatever artificial distinction there is, which, don't get me wrong, I appreciate it, you know, New 52 era, Detective and Batman felt so much the same, except for one being super shitty, that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that the fact that they've attempted some sort of narrative distinction, I appreciate. So, I read that. Uh, I read Future Quest V. Um, good, my goodness, Jeff Parker and Doc Shaner are putting out one of the brightest, colorful, optimistic, energetic 
um, just real go-getter adventure comics out there, and they just keep introducing more and more Hanna-Barbera properties, and I continue to know, like, none of them. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, what is going on? Why, like, why is all of this still so approachable? And I guess apparently... In an interview that he did with Van Jensen, uh, Parker talked about how he was, his son really doesn't know any of these properties, and so as he was continually making this book, um, uh, Shaner would show the artwork to his son and sort of explain the characters, and if his son couldn't really grasp it, he would just, you know, um, skip that. Uh, what else? I read Descender 15. I know I've been complaining about the Singularities arc for a long time now. I'm with you. Yes, it's true. It's like five issues where 90% of each issue is backstory. Um, but I've been just sort of sitting on them and then reading them, and I'm enjoying that a lot more, which doesn't really let it off the hook on a month-to-month basis. But, um, I read what I think is the second to most recent issue, which is about, um, my goodness, what is his name? It's the robots. It's Tim 22's human brother, as well as Tim 22's human brother's girlfriend. Um, and I felt there was a much more emotional thrust to that issue, um, than some of the past ones. Probably the biggest thing I read though was King's Quest one through five, um, this follows King's Watch and is not to be confused with the 18 quintillion video games called King's Quest, which is what really confused me because a bunch of times I went to talk about this book with friends and I'm like, yeah, I read King's Quest. And then I'm like, no, wait, that's that's a video game. Um, it must not be King's Quest. Uh, but uh, Dynamite continues to smash all sorts of weird characters together. Um, this time it's like, it's the Phantom, it's um, Mandrake the Magician, it's uh, Prince Valiant, <laughs> of all things, uh, it's Flash Gordon. Um, a couple things to learn from that. Uh, Prince Valiant and Flash Gordon are basically space bros. Uh, at one point, um, they all get captured, and Prince Valiant only has enough time. He breaks free, and he only has enough time to let loose one other person to join him on this mission to destroy all these bad guys and he decides that the person most like him aka brain dead uh and crazy is flash gordon so uh <laughs> he lets flash gordon out and uh there i think a monumental uh, high five occurs and then it goes on um but major credit to dynamite on the whole and also major credit to jeff parker uh for really uh injecting some real life into these characters um, especially considering that um, there's two phantoms now. Um, one of them is is um, uh, black, and the other one is a woman. Uh, so n- literally, neither phantom is a uh, white male anymore, which is which is interesting. Uh, they actually, um, I guess, minor spoilers. Uh, you know what? I shouldn't say that because I don't know when the <laughs> Jeff. I don't know when the uh, uh, the podcast by the uh, author of the other ones is going to come out, so I actually can't spoil that, but there's a reason why there isn't a white male phantom anymore, um, and the, uh, female, uh, phantom, uh, is also gay, so, um, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's just crazy, because these characters are just, they've been the same forever and ever and ever, and I know a lot of the people that read Dynamite are sort of, like, I think even more than Big Two stuff, they, kind of want these characters to be, like, the 1930s comic strip forever and ever and ever, so this is big like that's mm-hmm. you know it's, I think it's a it's a big deal dynamite really gained a, a, some uh good faith from people with with 
Red Sonia and letting Gail Simone Swords kind of, of yeah, yeah yeah head up yeah. some reboots of their more offensive woman characters. I mean, Deja Thoris used to literally wear pasties. Yeah, yeah. You know, Vampirilla had the like front wedgie bathing suits, and so I think that they are listening and they've had success with their uh, attempts to modernize and be a little more aware of in terms of some of these characters. So I'm glad that that seems to be spreading past the characters that we've already seen success with those updates. Yeah. It's to see these characters that are so old that have such pulp origins actually um, reinvented in certain ways. It's uh, it's, it's interesting. I think dynamite is really turning a corner on just being, sitting on legacy properties, which is really what they were. Just here's 18 properties we have, like the Shadow and the Phantom and Good job, whatever. Dynamite. So yeah, good good yeah. job, Dynamite. Really, I'm I'm impressed. So Comic Books come out this week on November sixteenth of two thousand and sixteen, which hopefully that part is not the part that throws most of you. Um if it is, uh calendars. Invest in them. They're great. <laughs> That being said, uh, what are your guys' picks for this week? Um, Kate, do you want to lead us off? Sure. So I only have two books coming out this week, um, Batman number 11 and Black Hammer number 5. And I Mm. can't for the life of me remember what's going on in Black Hammer right now and don't have my comics handy. (laughs) So I am going to go with Batman number 11 because I just read 9 and 10 uh, like last night. So... um, I am excited for this because we are now, so right now, uh, Batman and his merry band of misfits, um, aka supervillains, are trying to infiltrate this prison, as was discussed, Um, and so this issue brings us, like, to the prison that they're trying to bust into, and um, I would assume fighty, stabby, betray type stuff is going to go down. We'll see. What they're trying to do is get psycho Kate, all of these people are, they've got Batman's back 100%. 100. Kate, honestly. And this, this no really one is never going goes to betray wrong. anyone. If we've learned anything from comics, when you put together a band of villains, it yeah. always ends well. Um, so I'm confident going into this that it will be a happy ending. So yeah, they're trying to get Psycho Pirate so that he can come fix somehow uh, Gotham Girl. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not real clear why we want the villain who broke her to come. You know, we have the utmost faith that he's going to come fix her, but we'll see, I guess. Um, but currently Bane has him, so now we're going to go, you know, duke it out with Bane. Um, so that is what I'm looking forward to this week. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Tom King does with Bane, because Bane is a villain that really can be done quite differently depending upon um, how the author decides to take it. Because I think a lot of people aren't aware that Bane is actually pretty smart, believe it or not. Uh, He's actually a semi-intelligent villain. I know he gets played up a lot as... um, A bruiser. What is it? Yeah, I've got... got, I think it's Venom. I've got Venom running through my veins. Mm -hmm. And, uh, gee, I hope no one cuts the cords on my back that pump the Venom through my body like they do... Uh, every single every time. time. Yeah. <laughs> well, right now you'll be pleased to know he's in recovery. He is he's in recovery. Up, he has given up venom and is oh using psycho pirate instead to curb his cravings. Um, he's like, is this tell like me the I'm equivalent of vaping powerful. for supervillains? Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> yeah. He's like, 
uh, tell me I'm happy and powerful. And Psycho Pyro's like, no problem, dude. Uh, let me hook you up. Oh, so. <laughs> this is too good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that's um, that's that's wow. Uh, jeez, Bane, Bane, how how far you've fallen? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm I'm excited because honestly, no nobody's really used Bane for a while now, and I think it's because as as um Tia pointed out, he kind of has that reputation for just being uh, I'm gonna punch you into a brick wall, and that will be the um that that will be my contribution to the comic. So so yeah, yeah that sounds great. I. Yeah, hats off to that team. Fantastic. What about you, Tia? What are you? Uh, what are you excited for, or you know, more excited for than than the rest of your picks? I guess. Well, Lady Killer Two Number Three is coming out next week. If my curse does not affect its release date, <laughs> I forgot you're notorious for that. I am. Yes. Yep. Uh, so. If you haven't read Lady Killer, the first series, I forget how many issues were in it, but I'm pretty sure it's considered a mini series. So that's why this uh, is called yeah. Lady Killer 2. It's the kind of sequel. The elevator pitch is essentially uh, Betty Draper as the Black Widow. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's if you know Betty Draper, that's not a big stretch. She's a, <laughs> she's a one I mean suppose lady. suppose that's so. true. <laughs> she's a, a, a nasty woman, I guess. We nasty could. women get shit nasty done. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, so when we last left Josie, who's the woman in Lady Killer, there was a situation. There was a situation, and they need, so they've moved to a new place and they're now in Florida and things are a little bit complicated for Josie because her um, elderly mother-in-law seems to be onto her double life and hey when that happens I know <laughs> uh, so in issue number three it looks like there is some um, things get a little more twisted and a little more complicated with with Josie and her mother-in-law I Love this book so much. Joelle Jones is the writer and artist. That woman is just genius. First of all, she is the person responsible for uh, Ask Me About My Feminist Agenda, if you are familiar with that little cover. I forgot that was her. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I don't know why that slipped my mind. I know. Uh, I just love her art so much. It's very stylish. And so if you're into that Mad Men aesthetic, you will just love Lady Killer. And uh, the women that she draws are really beautiful, which uh, I feel so tra traitorous to, to say because I'm all girl power. But she does it in a way that is not, you know... We were just complaining about the boob pockets and the positions that she, you know, she draws women beautifully, but not um, in, the, they're not porny. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're, yeah. you can be beautiful without being a fan, you know, like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the, the cover for, for this issue for Lady Killer 2, number three is just amazing. And, I'm very excited for it. Yeah, sometimes uh, her art reminds me a bit of um, Marguerite Sauvage, if that's how you say yeah, it. I yeah, I sort of get that very fashion, fashion sensible exactly um, background or and also Tula so. Lote. I get yes, uh, yes. Although I would say that Joelle Jones is slightly less painterly. That her her line work is a little less. Um, 
I don't know, loose than I would than those yeah. artists. But it's more defined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so stylish, like spot on mid century. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all of those artists are fantastic. Uh, any of our listeners who are looking for some fantastic female drawn comics, like all of those artists are just amazing. Oh, I mean, so. and actually on the topic of erotic but uh, tasteful. You know, uh, Tula Lote has a really beautiful art book that she did called Salome, and there's some erotic drawings that, you know, they're not objectionable. They're very thoughtful, and mm-hmm. and I think that you know you can do erotic art with integrity. It doesn't always have to be a problem. It doesn't always have to be jungle fantasy, right? <laughs> and it doesn't right. have to be. <laughs> You know, contortionist yeah, Catwoman it, in poses that require less backbone than exactly. people actually have. Exactly. I just looked up the Lady Killer 2 number 3 cover, and you weren't kidding. This is incredible. It's, Listeners, it's, Google it. So there, yeah, it's it's black and white with pops of red, and it's like this weird concentric circle background that's very disorienting. And then there's uh, Josie hold, all bloody holding a bloody kitchen knife. Yeah, that's a, that's a sight. Uh, I haven't seen that cover, but I've seen some of the other ones. And uh, This book is spectacularly book violent. Point. There is so much <laughs> blood in this I, book. From the name, you never would have thought. Right? <laughs> well, I think it's a great play on, you know, yeah, lady killer. Exactly. You know, Because obviously it's a, it's, a, it's a masculine noun, really. I, not that I need to tell you guys that, but I think that that's so interesting that they just inverted that. And, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's clever. So how about you, Nick? Uh, This week, I've actually got a new number one, which is exciting. Um, It's a Dark Horse book called Ether. Uh, Ether number one. It is a miniseries. It's five issues. And it's Matt Kent. And everyone's thinking, oh, geez, Nick, do you read all Matt Kent books? To which the answer is uh, yes. Yes. Uh, I will not not betray him. Everyone should Uh, read all Matt Kent books. I, uh, there's, there's my, there's a bumper sticker. I think it's right there. So, um, Matt Kent doing another project for Dark Horse. And this one is with a guy named David Rubin on art who I looked him up. He doesn't have a huge back history on like comic book DB. Um, he drew a series for boom, um, called, uh, the fiction with Kurt Pyers writing. And he's also recently known for, and this is a very different thing. Uh, he drew the foil variant covers for Power Rangers. <laughs> well, there you Which, go. Which, all laughing aside, I looked them up, and I want I want all of those. So there you go. <laughs> um, what's this book about? Uh, you have a scientist adventurer named Boone Dias. Because I mean, here's the rule: if you're a scientist adventurer, long before you get your degree in archaeology, long before you fight Nazis, long before you find something gold on a pedestal that you then remove, and then a trap goes off, and then poisoned arrows try to kill you. Long before that, you need a cool fucking name. And if you don't have a cool fucking name, like, what are you doing? Honestly, step start off on the right foot. Get a cool name. Boondias is a great name. Are you sure um, it's not Diaz? Uh, it's D-I-A-S, which I think of as, like, Dias, like a Dias oh, that okay. you put something on. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but but maybe not. Who knows? Uh, anyway, he's... Whatever. Boone's awesome. 
Yeah, so uh, he stumbles upon another dimension. He's an interdimensional traveler because uh, that's fashionable. And it's a fantasy realm, and there are all these different... This is universe based on magic, and of course he's a man of science. And um, all of these like magical creatures, like obviously they've got problems in their realm, and crimes are happening, and apparently magic can't solve crimes, but science can. Um, now you know. And so he basically, from what I understand, is going to become like the CSI of this uh, <laughs> fantasy realm I just, uh, all the while. Have yeah. all these like elves and pixies in my head going, we got problems, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he, you can see him just putting on the plastic gloves and pulling mm-hmm. out the UV light and, you know, checking the room for, yeah. Uh, so apparently it's supposed to deal with him balancing both worlds as well. So it looks beautiful. Uh, it's going to be Matt Kinn. It's a mini series, so I know it's not going to hurt my wallet. Uh, so I'm 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 very excited about that. So. How many issues? Just five, uh, okay. or possibly four, but I think it's five. I really like mini series. I think that it is a way to really ensure that the writing is tight because there is a yes. beginning, a middle, and an end mm-hmm. that they know about going into it and i don't necessarily think that everything needs to be an ongoing yeah 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 well what i really like is that in the case where something is actually it sells really well it's really popular uh the writers and the team have a chance when they're done to sort of sit down with the publishers and their editors and sort of say um like do we have another story in the works? Do we have something that will, you know, honor the five issues that we've already done and keep that same level of quality control? And so this idea of doing a miniseries and then taking a break and then evaluating and then maybe doing another one, I think that's great. I think that's great. And you're seeing publishers doing that a lot these days. Um, I'm trying to think of the other one I recently read. Um, I think it was Boom. It was basically the Where the Wild Things Are. Not the Where, where the Wild Things Are. Um, where the... What the wind? It was the wind and the willows meets war of the worlds, whichever whatever that was called, where it was the animals fighting off like the alien. Ah, damn it! Anyway, that book, same thing. Whenever I can actually think of the title, it was by Dan Abnett. I and J. Colbert did the art. Um, everyone else can go Google it. How do you remember all of this but the title? I know, I know. Oh God! Yeah, exactly. Um, but go look up the were, was it, Abnett Culbert. Were the animals like, was it an anthropomorphic deal? Were they yes, were, and they were all wearing tweed jackets, and it was basically England, and they had old cars. Because <sighs> the, only, the only recent boom anthropomorphic book I'm thinking of is uh, the one where the dogs are in prison. Right. Yeah, I know about that. Hold on. I am actually just going to... We're just going to use the internet. It was called Wild's End, everyone. Oh, I read it that. I was Wild's okay. End. That wasn't and Boom, it was, though, was it? I thought that was Image. Uh, that's uh, why I wasn't I jumping in there. I think, yeah. Okay, maybe I was wrong then. But yeah, that's good. Yeah, so there you go. Um, Xander, please keep that whole... It was Boom, just confirmed. Please keep okay, that cool. whole stupid struggle of mine in there. Just all of it. You're going <laughs> to love it. This week's topic actually comes to us courtesy of Kate, or I guess more specifically a discussion that Kate had um, with Mike 
Uh, so in that uh, in that respect, I'm just going to pass this over to Kate and have her relay that information to the rest of us. Kate? Yeah, so this came about rather happenstance where Mike and I were talking and it got into one of those what I would assume every comic nerd friendship has where you talk start talking about things you hate about comics because we love to hate them, right? Um, and we were talking about uh, the tropey kind of things that, and I don't even remember what it was. It might have been a death at, or like our character coming back or something. I don't know. But anyway, we were grumping about it and we got to the point where we were like, there's so much to say. We could make a whole episode about this. And sure enough, here we are uh, several months later doing our literary trope um, episode. So the topic we're going to talk about is our least favorite comic book tropes and I know somewhere out there there's like the English major just gently sobbing at their speaker going that's not what a trope is that a trope is a use of figurative language (laughs) and we see you and we hear you uh unfortunately languages evolve and trope has come to mean uh commonly recurring literary and rhetorical devices and motifs and cliches and especially in comic books i think a lot of what people just mean is cliches things that we see over and over and over until we're so sick of them we want to spit so on that note (laughs) we love comics let's just preface this we love comics so much but these are the things we'd like to see less of so how about you tia start with you can we please stop with rape as backstory? Yes. Can that just that. be a thing that so. doesn't... Just just not happen. Just don't. There's never a good reason. The problem, I think, is that it has become such of a go-to thing to insert into a backstory to give women anger and motivation that it has lost all meaning. And that's a shame because I think it could be used more effectively if if it were used more judiciously and more thoughtfully and it is a there are women with rape in their backstory for whom seeing it represented in a way that gives the character anger and motivation to take charge of her life that could be a good empowering important thing to see the problem is that so often the actual carrying out of the of the acts and in the aftermath focus too much on the on the the villain on the perpetrator rather than coming from the the point of view of the survivor and and yeah there's just it's really a more a problem with how it's it's carried out in fiction and less a a thing that needs to be completely banned. Well, and it's so a a good example of things time that they did it well was the Jessica Jones Netflix series handled it really well. I think so. Um, The, a, a big part of it at this point is it's become such a de facto lazy writing way of making a female character sympathetic and it's like the dead parents, but for female heroes, except the dead parents isn't wildly offensive when done wrong. You know what I mean? It's like, so um, I, I feel like so many, many times now when you're seeing it, it's not even for a reason other than we needed a reason for people to like this strong woman that we don't think they would have sympathized with otherwise. I also think that um, kind of pulling it out of the realm of fiction and thinking about how it operates in real life. I think that for men and creators who are men, they think of it as the worst thing that could happen to a woman 
short of being killed, which, you know, right. isn't It's basically wrong. the way of taking your narrative from zero to 100 yeah. is what you're right. saying. Like, you, you drop this in and you know, at least for some creators, that this is the way of making your serious making your story hit what they define as probably the most serious point sure like you could do right and they think that's they think that's the easiest way to do it i mean the problem with that is they need to understand that this is not fiction for a lot of people and there is a way that they are telling the story that they simply don't have the the insight to tell Uh, they they're not wrong that it is an extremely traumatizing thing that happens, but you're saying the articulation is is off, basically. Yeah, yeah. I they they're not in a they're not us, usually in a position to tell that story. And I realize that sexual assault happens to men too, and that and I don't mean to paint with broad strokes here about that. Uh, certainly, I'm not saying that men can't n- tell that that experience but women specifically experience sexual assault in a in a different way than men it's more um systemic in our culture (laughs) (laughs) oh oh, too real to you too real right uh and and so this isn't to say that you can only write rape if it's happened to you but i just i think that there is a lot of cultural education that needs to happen in and when you are contributing to to the narrative of it in our culture by by putting it in your fiction you you are have a responsibility to contribute in, in a way that that is real and that is effective and that is that is not just aestheticizing this reality for millions of women, but is telling their story in a way that is true to their experience and, and their survival of it. And that doesn't happen frequently. Right. So, so our problem is the trope of using it as a crutch, like as a storytelling crutch versus it actually being done thoughtfully and respectfully and well. Um, so I guess the trope would be it being like the shortcut to make someone sympathetic and angry and motivated. Mm-hmm. I apologize so. for my rambling about this. I just oh, no, it was have a real spot problem on. with it. Completely spot on. Um, Let me just make sure I'm, I'm picking up what's being put down here just to <laughs> summarize here, just to make sure. So again, uh, you know, Tia, you know, you know, you're not saying that this, um, I guess, what do you want to call it, a narrative element, it's not that it doesn't belong in comics, it's not that men cannot be one to present this narrative, but that it's a real tightrope to walk that really requires, you know, a good amount of research or insight or discussion with people who perhaps have encountered or or, um, had such a traumatic experience and uh, unless you're willing to put in the work to reach that point, you need to think about things uh, quite a bit before going down this road with your narrative. That, is, that's fair. Do I have that? That is a fair mostly? assessment, yes. Okay. Okay. All right. How about you, Nick? What's top on your list? Oof. Um, let's... Tonal shift. Uh, 
Nick White's not going to segue <laughs> out of uh, this one real smooth. Um, <laughs> Nick White, he went from uh, rape and narrative to something else. He's a real insensitive asshole. Um, but I guess you threw it my way, so I guess it's my turn. Um, I think one of the ones that I am just not a fan of, and I don't think you see it as much anymore, and I mean, that was actually a question I was going to ask, and I'm sorry for jumping the topic back again, um, but I was curious, uh, how do you guys feel about the progress of using um, rape as a narrative element over like the last 10 years, the last 15 years? Do you feel things, obviously things have a ways to go, obviously. Do you feel that things have gotten better, or they're about the same, or I was I was just curious, because obviously there's a bias involved in, like, I read what I read, and so I don't go out naturally seeking books that are um, poorly using a narrative element like that, but do you guys feel things are improving, or, no. I mean, genuinely, do you feel they aren't? No, no. especially, so, okay. a lot of what you see in like mainstream comic books is also the normalization of things that are actually rape but that people don't see as rape like non-consensual acts or whatever and that that the whole no 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 until she says yes which is in fact rape um like wearing someone down and then it's actually fine or you know that kind of stuff um so we still see like really widespread normalization of rape culture in comics uh which is unfortunate but hopefully as we get more and more uh educated creators and especially female creators and people who know more about this stuff we can kind of sway the tides of stuff but I think progress is really slow going well I think Um, that you have to really place a lot of the blame on the like gritty vertigo 90s stuff yeah that because that has become synonymous with like more highbrow or more literary or more serious comic books and so people take a lot of what they see in those titles and they confuse them with seriousness or you know Mm -hmm. oh um, yeah you just hit on one of my listed ones yay so (laughs) true okay that the whole that i'm grit uh, grim and oh, I mistyped it here, but grim and angsty is the same as tough and sophisticated. It just rubs me so wrong. Um, it's so, so juvenile. We all have to be so grim and moody. Exactly, you're being childish. And then the big subset of this is that being emotionally damaged as a character is like an excellent excuse to act out rape culture tropes within the comic because it's not perpetuating it. He's a damaged soul. Blah, blah blah. Like this is that whole like Harley Quinns and Joker stuff. Oh. It's like, oh, oh well, she's totally damaged. And so it like, just stop. For those stop. not aware, uh, Harley Quinn is a much-loved character on the I Read Comic Books <laughs> podcast. Uh, if you weren't sure about this, go oh, look up okay. um, so if you, pretty much any episode of this podcast. Except when I'm on. Speak for yourself, Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he's being facetious. Um, I, I do believe that is what's happening. Is it? Oh, I, don't, I actually have... Yeah. I mean, I'm never on shows with you, Nick, so I don't know. For all I know, you love Harley yeah. Quinn. Yeah, um, go look up all of my podcast episodes. I'm I'm a bad person. No, um, yeah. Why are we never on shows together? <laughs> we need to fix this. Mike Rappin, just redo the schedule um, right now. <laughs> Every time I, I see what you're talking about, Kate, I always think of that line in Pee-wee's Big Adventure where he goes, I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel. I'm a rebel. <laughs> and so I just yeah. can't take it seriously. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Like, the current Batman right now t- definitely gets that feel for me sometimes where it's just kind of like, oh, we're trying so hard to be so moody about this girl you just met. 
and like you weren't even sure if she was a villain and then suddenly you know and then so like with gotham girl and stuff and like no yeah my heart is you know i gotta do all this stuff to the point where i'm gonna break out all these villains and make this team the end of issue six and he's like i need to do all of this for her i was like Whew, I mean, good God, like, you've already adopted enough kids. It's like the 13-year-old that met someone yesterday. Kate, yeah. can you do the rest of the show in your Batman voice? That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No problem, guys. Justice. Um, That's right. So, um, Nick, you never actually <laughs> told us what your trope was that you were going to inelegantly segue oh, into. Oh, no, no, yeah, <laughs> that's, and, that's, and, and that's because I, I went ahead and threw it back to the other topic. Um, that was that That's on me. That's totally on me. Um, I think one of the ones that is a little less serious would be um, the hero and villain. Uh, when they're wearing their costumes, they, they hate each other. But for <laughs> some weird reason, they're like co-workers or they're like father and son or yep. any sort of arrangement where they spend so much time together outside of wearing capes and tights that it's like, can you not piece this together at all? <laughs> Especially when they don't even have masks and stuff. When it's like, wow, the glasses really threw me off. I had no idea yeah. who you were. So, so that one, I don't, I, I, I don't get it. But then on the flip side, I also think it's a meme that I don't, a, a trope, trope, meme, cliche, whatever. Uh, that I don't know if I've seen. I don't know if I've seen that done. Yeah, I was gonna say, what is an example oh, of the, that? The, there were some Spider-Man movies recently. I mean, recently within the last oh, like yeah. decade that were like that, right? Where it was like, oh, it was Willem you Def- all yeah. along. So, Mike, uh, no, Jordan and I were talking about that last night. We're like, hey, remember when Willem Dafoe was James Franco's dad? <laughs> yes. And then I was like, yeah, that was weird. That was really weird. Yeah, Jordan's. I think Jordan was like, "Can we have that happen again in a movie like Willem Dafoe's?" Well, yeah, okay, sure. And along that same lines, the whole that we're like, like the Superman Batman movie was that whole thing. It was like we're together all the time, but somehow don't realize who we are, and like we also can't just talk to each other. We have to punch first, ask questions later. Otherwise, this movie would be like five minutes long. <laughs> Not so, to like defend Batman because I oh, don't really like to defend Batman try. when it comes to this movie, but I'm I'm pretty certain. And I've only seen this movie once, and I don't want to see it again, so don't think I'm going to go watch this movie to to affirm this, Kate. Jeez, don't make me do that. I'm pretty certain it's assumed that Batman knows who Superman is, but the reverse is not true. Okay, and he does have a mask, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's fair. And And listeners, I'm not rewatching that movie, but Nick, the extended cut, it's no. No. Mm -mm. No. I'm not rewatching the movie. Don't I'll rewatch make me. the five awesome minutes of Wonder Woman. Otherwise, forget it. <laughs> like Nick, he he brands people with a bat signal. Yes, that's exactly why I do not need to see that movie again. Ah. <laughs> also, in terms of that movie, because I can't point this out enough, go rewatch that movie. If only for this reason, I will not be rewatching it. But go rewatch it. If you end up in a vehicle in any way, Batman will kill you dead. If you get in a vehicle, he'll murder you. If you get out of a vehicle, he'll punch you unconscious. So villains don't don't get in a vehicle he'll all of his all of his vehicles are armed to to kill you here's something that that makes me think of that i think is a is a kind of annoying trope sure sure there's this idea that good guys don't rack up a body count 
Um, yeah. You know, but like, does does Matt Murdock really think that those dudes he hits in the head with a pipe are are like surviving? <laughs> totally Is, fine. You know, I mean, does Steve Rogers think that if he throws his shield at some dude or throws them off of a freaking... Oh, no, actually, uh, speaking of throwing them off of a, of a ship, which was what I was about to say, I'm pretty sure the Russo brothers had him do that specifically to make a statement in the beginning of The Winter Soldier that this was not your, like, you know, good boy Steve Rogers, but that he... He's a bad yeah, boy. Yeah, he's a bad boy. That's right. He has feelings He will now. throw your ass Angsty off feelings. of a ship. Marvel, that's your next Captain America reboot right there. Bad boy Steve Rogers number one. You're welcome. Well, actually, <laughs> welcome. do you know about do you know about Doctor America? No. W- what the heck is that? So there's uh, there was this one shot. I think it was from like 2010. It's called Who Won't Wield the Shield, and there's all these little like mini stories <laughs> in it. And there's this one by um, there's it's by Matt Fraction and. Doctor America is like satanic Captain America, and he's got like a like a pentagram on his shield, and of um, and instead of Bucky Barnes, his sidekick is a goat boy, and it's hilarious. There's this panel where he's like, "I am Bala Boot, and I'm better than Bucky Barnes because I am a goat that is also a boy," and I'm like, "Yeah, you are." <laughs> Oh my goodness! Anyway, well, okay then. No. Sorry for that tangent, but um, no, I mean, good. I mean, good segue to you. Yeah, you actually saved my BBS uh, <laughs> rant there. You're absolutely right. This this idea that heroes that don't kill are are morally superior, even though they totally kill Bruce. Bruce Wayne me. has an entire yeah. wing of people that are on life support for the rest right? of their life as vegetables. Yeah. Um, but he didn't kill it would them. Be, okay. He yeah. Didn't, yeah, you know why Medicare is so expensive? Superheroes. They're just yeah. putting the bodies. <laughs> you know what? It would be preferable if you killed these people, Batman. Okay. Oh, oh this took a dark turn, cost. Nick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I guess maybe that's the really dark uh, conclusion to be drawn from that, is that like the Punisher should be our ideal no. superhero. No. <gasps> oh, speaking but of... he's awesome. Oh, my God. But do you remember... Um, I think it's the Matt Fra- Matt Fraction. I love you, man. Um, the Matt Fraction Punisher War Journal when he becomes Captain America to fight Nazis in like Fallbrook. I have never I read any Punisher. That. Oh my god, so. it's so. I mean, I hate Punisher except for this Punisher. It's so good. And there's this like Captain Nazi, and he goes and he like he's like, but he like combines his Punisher outfit with the Captain America outfit, and it's fucking awesome and he like goes and he fights the nazis and then he meets up with bucky barnes at the end he's like actually i don't want to be captain america this fucking sucks so like can you take this shit back and they kind of have a like semi-homoerotic like i'm gonna fight you moment and then yeah it's amazing (laughs) so in in these moments you also frequently get at the end of these series the whole like the villain is about to win, and that's when they go on this monologue to tell all their evil plans to the hero. That annoys me so yes. much every time. I'm just like, oh. it's just such lazy storytelling. So, lazy. so many of these things are just lazy. Um, I mean, the whole point of tropes, obviously, is that they're shortcuts to get readers to the place you want them to be. But you can use them responsibly. And that whole, like... Um, it ends now. Like, not 
like it's going to end or it's end, you know, like it's those exact words in a fight it, it ends now like how many times we have to say this like <laughs> good god that just needs to be like completely editors just don't allow it for like 10 years just get it out of our systems for a while there that is a problem though where i think that as you say these are meant to be shortcuts and and they're, that's not a bad thing in and, in and right. of itself, but they lose meaning when they become right. overused. Case in point, superhero deaths. Well, yeah. And I think some of this is obviously the consequence of having books come out one month after the next. And so obviously there are certain deadlines and pressures. And I'm that's not excusing these things, but it makes you understand why some people fall back on them. Sure. Because yeah. Obviously, it's like you have 20, 25 days. Uh, how are we going to do this as quickly as possible? Well, and only a so. few, you know, 20 some pages. So, mm-hmm. well, the superhero mm-hmm. death and inevitable resurrection trope kind of brings us into how in in comic books, um, especially as an industry, a lot of marketing gimmicks have, have become so common and influence stories in such a standard way that they have now become comic book tropes within themselves so the th- whole thing of you know killing off your hero just to bring them back because lord knows you're not killing your cash cow forever um and w- but it's it's a simple matter of stepping back and asking yourself what am i really trying to do with this story beat and if the answer is a marketing gimmick so I make a lot of money, then it doesn't matter what you insert in there. It's going to be kind of hollow and stupid. But if you have a real reason for why you want to kill your superhero and bring him back or whatever, like ask yourself what those themes are and then like kind of reverse engineer it and work backwards from there and figure out another way to get there that isn't so um, kind of meaningless at this point. Right. Right. And of course, uh, it, it does merit to, to point out that sometimes, regardless of what the author does or does not want to happen with the story, the um, editorial control yeah. might have a much different idea in mind. Well, I don't want Superman to die. Well, here's the plan. In two months, we're going to have six Superman books tie into each other. Your Superman needs to be dead, so I don't want to hear any more right. you know, stuff out of you. Um, is there any- I know but- this is a big one for you, though, Nick, with... yeah the various tropes that really get you going. Yeah, it's it, comics are just fascinating because it's this weird intersection of commercialism and like creative narrative attempting to come to some sort of compromise on a on a monthly basis and that's insane. And so one of the ones that bugs me that you see a lot that starts as sort of a commercialism um, trope but then finds its way into the narrative is when like there's a movie right around the corner or there's um <laughs> Uh, a TV show right around the corner, and then all of a sudden your book changes like crazy. Or uh, I don't know if you guys remember when Guardians of the Galaxy came out. The Guardians of the Galaxy characters showed up in everything. Everything. Oh, and right now they have like five different new Doctor Strange books because you know. Yeah. Yeah. So many. And the best part is is it's it's when it's characters that like weren't that popular to begin with, or it's like a C list character, then it's even more apparent. Like apparent. Yeah. You know. Um, not from a writing perspective, but it drives me nuts when suddenly after the movie comes out, the art like the artist starts drawing the character like the actor, and I'm like, mm-hmm. sometimes that's okay stop. though. Well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Are we talking about Sebastian Stan here? Shut up, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) I I knew it. Um, But you, yeah, you can't deny that that's not a bad thing. 
<laughs> Come on. Uh, I feel you. I feel you. I, I hear you there. Or, but, but yeah, I think that you, I, I, Star Lord could start to look a little Chris Pratt y for sure. But I don't, I mean, yeah. who, if you change it for a whole new series or even in just a different arc, it's like whatever. You but know what? it's like mid series, I get annoyed. <laughs> These are attractive people, and I don't mind seeing their face. In other, I don't oh, mind. You're funny. <laughs> I, I want to point out to all of the comic book artists out there that Tia is now advocating that you need to be drawing accurate representations That's of right. actual actors. I'm just saying, have you seen Poe Dameron? Yeah. I'm just, Tia is making your job harder, you and I, I'm sorry for that. Poe yeah. Dameron. Oh, yeah. Phil Noto's, Phil Noto's, what is his name? My goodness. Oscar Isaac? Phil Noto's Oscar Isaac is on point. Yeah, he's keeping it. You know what? And Phil Noto, um, as the kids Phil Noto say. is just on point. Let's, let's. It's true. Yeah. Always. Always. How do you keep it 100 all the time? Yeah, honestly. Um, Phil Noto, how do you not have like six coffee table books at this point? You could, you should. It's um, true. Just an idea. <laughs> but in the same vein, I hate it when. Like, when Suicide Squad came out, they're like, look, guys, uh, we need to get Jim Lee drawing this book, because Jim Lee is as popular as popular gets, and so I'm reading new Suicide Squad at this point, which is not as good as Suicide Squad. Um, Note that they just said new. They didn't say better. They didn't say super. It's just new, and that was the right word to attach. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, guess what? All of the characters from the movie are now on the team again. Um, Okay. And Jim Lee's on the book now. Um, why? What happened to Juan Ferreira and Tim Seeley? Well, they're not popular, okay? Jim Lee is where it's at. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating. Um, when these things happen, publishers, give the movie its own separate book, okay? The Flash TV show has its own comic. The yeah. Arrow TV show has its own comic. Just give it its own comic, okay? Honestly, don't... I know this is get off my lawn right here, but stay <laughs> away from my books. yells at Cloud. Yes. You get that, you throw that ball in my yard again, and I swear to God, there's going to be a dead basketball being thrown back over the other side. That one bugs me a lot. But that's commercialism for you. I mean, really. We're talking yeah. a lot about superhero books and big two and, and movie tie-ins. Is there anything that applies to um, other publishers, creator-owned books, things Mm. like that, that you wish people would back off in terms of these overused tropes? That's that's a great question, Tia, honestly. Um, For me, uh, image sometimes feels like it's like, how do I explain this? With HBO shows, and I think I've said this on the show before, honestly, there's some sort of temptation that, well, we're on HBO, so we can do this in the realm of violence, and we can do this in the realm of nudity, uh, and we can say these words because we're on HBO. Uh, so maybe even if those things naturally don't fit our program, we're going to do it. Oh, I hear you. Because we can. Yeah. And in the same way with image books, image is like, well, we're image, so we don't have DC editorial control. We don't have to keep it PG-13. Uh, We don't have to worry about using these swear words. We can use this one, but we can't use those two. Um, The door is completely open now. Um, And I honestly feel like sometimes when I'm reading certain image books, I'm like, you didn't have to do this. You didn't have to show this. 
uh, Tokyo Ghost would be yeah, a fantastic Yeah, good one. example. Uh, if you wanted one that rolls immediately off the tongue. <laughs> uh, good God. Uh, and Sean Murphy, I love your art. What did Rick Remender do to you? Oh, well, speaking of I'm Rick sorry, Remender and tropes that I hate... I don't know if uh-huh. I don't know if I've ever forgiven him for fridging Sharon Carter. Oh yeah, talk to us about he, fridging Tia. I don't know that everyone knows what it is yet. Um, Based on internet comments I've seen when looking into researching this topic, so in a broad sense, it's when a woman character is killed to give her man some motivation. But you could you could apply it more broadly. I think that people talked about uh, Rhodey being fridged in um, the Civil War II event. So uh, I think that that you could ex- it sort of scale it out to have it mean a, an underrepresented class of person yeah. being killed or otherwise sacrificed to give motivation to the straight white man main character storyline. And the word fridging comes from... Was it Gail Simone, actually, who coined that phrase? Yeah, it was for her yeah, website. Yeah, and it was based originally on a Green Lantern Right, comic. yes, because his... Cause, Where yeah. it was literally in the fridge. Yeah, yeah, so. he literally found her body in the fridge, so... Uh, fun fact, I uh, got the issue that follows that issue in a comic book grab bag. Wow, so. cool. Yeah. lucky you yeah it's lucky <laughs> lucky me um oh man yeah, yeah. yeah what a book it's just again i would say ask yourself what you're trying to do with that character death and see if you can do it a different way i don't know i just like although i i concede that with Rody um there that was a tall order cuz you had to f- figure out a way to fuck up both uh Tony Stark and Carol Danvers at the same time and give them something to really want to kill each other right. over but i don't know like did didn't did it have to be Rhodey? i don't know if it did minor Rhodey tangent did both of you catch the yes! Rhodey Easter egg I loved it in so much Doctor Strange I totally missed that it That was clever that was quick blinking it you missed it was so it, good Okay, we will discuss back. it yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was but. pretty tired by the time we saw it last night, so. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the other big thing, so, I, so I'm so i trying to think of image stuff, and honestly, the I have a very select few books I read an image, and they're not mm-hmm. problematic in the ways that a lot of the stuff I read from Marvel and DC are, but I think that's also specifically because I pick books that I like that are like that you know what I mean so I'm not reading Tokyo Ghost or some of these other crazy things wasn't there one that everyone was really upset about even the art being on tags at C2E2 Um, that was the Peter Milligan was that the the discipline discipline. Um, so yeah clearly there's problematic image books I just don't read them so I can't tell you anything that bugs me in them off the top of my head um Sure. Speaking of Nick's point, though, I'm trying to think of like a good all ages image book, and I can't think of that's, one. Yeah, that's a good yeah, point. Yeah, but Honestly, that goes back to um, what we were saying earlier, where there's this annoying thing, and I blame Vertigo, um, where it's like in order for a book to be considered serious or literary, it has to be violent or hypersexual or like have right. these like. It, it's a real. It's actually a, to me a quite juvenile way of thinking that that sex or violence serious, uh, yeah. 
or right. it makes it mature. Like, like there's a difference between something being R-rated and yeah. mature, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Mature isn't sophisticated, I guess, would be yeah. what you're missing. But, you yeah. know. Um, I guess the only things we haven't talked about that are really big ones for me are the... The female hero with mind powers who gets too emotional and goes crazy and causes a crisis. Think like Storm, Jean Grey, Scarlet Witch, you know, all these characters. They just go, you know, they they can't control themselves. And that is just so, just stop, boys. We know you're intimidated, but like, we promise. Kate, their feeble brains can't can't handle that much power. Their their uterus just like overrides their their ability. It's true. Um, that whole thing just needs, that's another, let's put it on a 10 year hiatus. And then if you desperately need it to come back for some really compelling story reason, we'll talk, we'll talk. When I was a, when I was a TA for a class on pop culture, I had this really smart student and she wrote a paper about dark Phoenix and like the idea of like Freudian penis envy and like Mm -hmm. woman's hysteria. It was so good and so true. And then the other big one, the female hero has written, and this is so like obviously different writers take f- characters different directions and that's true with male and female characters so i'm talking specifically when uh someone is taken in a way written in a way that her entire role is basically to date the male heroes and be a source of conflict between them think like black widow dating every avenger at this point right um scarlet witch <laughs> same wonder woman being the tension between batman and superman superman kitty pride like these these females who end up just dating every hero and being like just the, it's just Obviously, I love these characters when they're written well. I'm not saying that I don't like these characters and they shouldn't be. Like, no, they're awesome. I just hate. Especially, it's like even worse because you like them. You know what I mean? Like, Kitty Pride is awesome. She is so much more than someone's super girlfriend. So, please stop. Ooh, you know, I have a I have a wish list for the new Gamora book. I want her to be jealous of Angela and oh, Sarah. I'd read that. Like, can we like can we have this happen, but only right. with lesbians? <laughs> like, I would love that. Yep. Put that on, uh, I guess, Marvel's uh, checklist for this year. Um, More lesbian it's a romance. Very specific one, but we'll we'll see what we can. Well, that very specific one. I you think know, it sounds like the way that you could solve a lot of these tropes is, you know, I'm going to beat the dead horse. I'm and say is to have yep. more diversity on a creator level. The end. I, yeah, you'd be hard pressed. I mean, they might be out there, but I can't think of a single female writer who's written things like that. You know what I mean? So. But tweet them at us, guys. I'm sure they're out there because oh, I'm then sure you they can will. start talking about I am how much sure the internet will tell us control and so on <laughs> and so forth. But yeah, it's it's tough, man. So I mean, we solve comics how, every yeah, week by coming to this conclusion, which is diversity yep. on the creator level. Make it happen, yep. people. Here's here's one I have that I I, I want to put to you guys because I'm actually very curious about. Um, so we talk about how like Batgirl is basically the analog for Batman, but it's the, the what do they yeah, call yeah, these? The, gor- the girl analogs or whatever you want. Um, and and Supergirl is the analog for Superman, obviously. Um, but what I think is kind of interesting is that offhand, the most simple answer would be like, let's just stop doing them then, right? Um, but honestly, if we're gonna stop doing them then obviously Batgirl is still a thing. Obviously Supergirl is still a thing. So do we have to shut those down 
uh, to really make a good effort in that respect. You know yeah. what I mean? I was thinking about that, and I was like, sure, we can stop doing this with future characters, and of, I think that's good. Of all good, our problems... Are we going to like take the last full yeah, measure and problems, shut them... Oh, I feel like yeah. this analog yeah. one is one of the least... Like, At least you're getting those characters out there, and then in a way that they're intertwined in the stories and have some volition of their own, I guess. Obviously, when they're written in the ways that we talked about, it's not ideal, but... Um, the whole like because i've read this online too how we should just have all new characters instead of having them be but you know what we bring in new male characters that way too look at how many freaking members of the bat family there are male and female so i don't i'm not opposed per se to this happening i i mean like it just seems like not where the focus should be at this point you know what i mean like when 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 we take care of all the other stuff then we can be like Okay, we can step, but I, so much of it is just by the fact, like, the reason they're all female analogs of men, at least, this is completely my opinion, uneducated, I'll even put out there, I have not read that much about this stuff, but I think it's just because we started out with a whole roster of male heroes, and so then when you started to diversify, then yeah, you brought in males and females that fit into their titles, so you got the Spider-Verse, which is a bunch of other spider people, and the Bat family, and the super people, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And Green so Lantern that, that, Corps. Yeah, they're all analogs surrounding these original white male characters. But that is, that's where we're at. And when we, that whole idea of, well, just make your own character and go with blah, 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 like that ultimately ends up being problematic itself too, right? So that's where I'm at with it. Well, it sounds like <laughs> we solved a couple issues and created a couple more and more or less fired the warning shot over image comics bow that they are not uh the end-all be-all utopia of comics um which is always one message that i am more than willing to preach uh you you are not like uh brave new like our new utopia image you you still have issues too and i know all of you at image are quaking (laughs) going oh man Nick White, call it as it is. We are so screwed. Make sure there's at least nine more boobs in the next comic just to really get him mad. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced and hosted by Nick White, executive produced by Mike Rappin with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks to Nick White, Tia Vasiliu, and Kate Scotchless. The music in this episode is brought to you by the ever-fantastic Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy this show, tell someone about it. Rate us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show, and with each rating you give, lends a little more exposure to this show and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create each week for you. Another great way to give us feedback is to take a minute or two to fill out our listener survey at ircb.us survey. Besides answering some questions about the show, we also ask what comics you're reading and what creators are currently your favorite. Or if you're looking to just say hi, you can email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org. And if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode in our subreddit at ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back-issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is to visit our site, ircb.us. 
Until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening.